Very often, actually too often for comfort, men uh, tell me that uh, the life has gone out of their marriages. The problem, they say, is my uh, wife's. She, uh, she doesn't love me anymore. As she puts it, the feeling is gone, and uh, I just can't get it back. My, my reaction in almost every case is to say, well, it really does no good to blame the other. Uh, in the first place, as C.S. Lewis put it, of all the awkward people in the world, there's really only one we can do very much about. And secondly, as our Lord taught us, we need to uh, occupy ourselves with the wood in our own eye rather than try to uh, pick out the splinter or the speck in our spouse's eye. And uh, therefore, the thing to do is to, to look at ourselves and look at God's word and see what what we need to do. That's the most important thing of all. I'd like to have you turn to uh, Ephesians 5, and I want to read the passage that I, uh, that I normally read to men when they raise that uh, particular issue. It's Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. The, uh, the one command that our Lord addresses to men here is simply to, uh, to love our wives, and to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And that, I would have to say, is a very tall order. Um, I would have to say myself that I generally bat about .250 with respect to uh, obedience to this command, and a lot of days I go 0 for 4. Uh, nevertheless, the Lord never commands without expecting some measure of compliance. Everything we've learned from the uh, book of Ephesians indicates that uh, there is all that we need to be what God has called us to be. All of, all of the resources of God are available to us to be the kind of men that God intends us to be. And, uh, and the command here is very simple and it's very direct. It's men, love your wives the way Christ loves us. Love your wives the way Christ loves us. In other words, what women need is to be loved the way they have never been loved before. Uh, women get very, very unhappy when they're not loved. And sometimes very difficult to live with. In, in Proverbs 30, there's one of these proverbs of ascending numeration that uh, it goes like this. Uh, there are three things that make the earth shake. One is a servant when he gets to be king. The other is a fool when he's full of food and drink. And the other is uh, an unloved woman. 
If you want to uh, have an earthquake hit you, he says, at about uh, 8.5 on the Richter scale, then uh, fail to love your wife the way she ought to be loved, and that will cause all sorts of trouble. And the problem very often is that we simply do not know how to love the way Christ loves his church, his bride. Now, Paul says some interesting things about the nature of that love. He tells us that Christ loved his bride and gave himself up for her. That's really what love is. It's, it's giving up oneself for the other person. As Lewis pointed out, there are four words in the Greek language for love. One is the word storge, which he calls duck love. That's the kind of love you have for cute, cuddly things, little animals and small children. And uh, that sort of love comes and goes in marriage, mostly goes. Sometimes it's there, just a feeling of warmth and affection for the other person. The second word that, that is found in the New Testament for love is the word uh, eros, which is erotic or sexual love, and certainly that's an essential component of, of marriage. The third word is phileo, that's, that's the verb form, that uh, is descriptive of friendship, intimate friendship, and certainly your wife ought to be your best friend. So those three types of love all occur now and then in in a marriage, but it's the fourth type that Paul is concerned with here, agape, which, as you know, is the word for divine love, self-giving love, love stripped of all self-interest. And so what Paul is saying here is that if we're going to love our wives the way Christ loves his pride, we need to set aside self-interest. This is not selfish love. This is not love for our sake. This is love for hers. Now, what Paul is calling for here is not random love. That is just, you know, not, not serving her just for the sake of serving her, because that's neither good for her nor is it good for you. And furthermore, that's a bottomless pit. The more we get, the more we want. And so just love for the sake of love to meet some indefinite need that a person has is really not the sort of love that that Paul is talking about here, he's talking a purpose about a purposeful love, which he describes in this way. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. In other words, Christ-like love exists in order to encourage the object of love toward the highest and holiest thing of all, that is, love of God and godly character. That, that, that's why we love our wives. That's what our love is for. So they can grow up to the full me- measure of the stature of Christ. So they can grow in their appreciation and knowledge of God and, and grow in their love for him and in the exhibition of, of his character. That, that's what Christ's love is all about. Now, let me ask you a question. This is a question I always ask when I'm involved in these, uh, in these sessions. What do you men want your wives to be? What, what do you want them to be like? Maybe your concern is that they uh, be more beautiful in uh, form and, and face, but uh, that's because it reflects well upon you. You want your wife to be more beautiful, so you, you, know, you walk into a room and everybody says, Wow, what a clever chap to win a, a woman like that. You want her to be thinner. 
You want her to be prettier. You want her to look more more sensual. Why? For yourself. I was at my uh, favorite muscle emporium the other day and uh, <laughs> wandered through the Nautilus room, and there was a young man whom I happened to know that was talking to the, uh, the, the woman who is one of the instructors in there. And you won't believe this, but he was actually... Uh, describing for her, his wife, right down to her vital statistics, her dimensions, and uh, was trying to get help on how to get his wife back into shape. And this young lady, who was obviously embarrassed by the whole thing, said, Well, sir, we will do our best to get your wife in shape for you. And I thought that's very well put. Because his concern was not... uh, anything more than selfish. It was simply to see her more beautiful so that he would look look better. It was for his own sake. So the question is, what do we want our wife to be? Why do you want your wife to be a better housekeeper? Is it for her sake? To lighten her load? Or is it for you? Most of us, uh, when when our, we have small children come home and uh, we walk into uh, Desolation Valley, the... Uh, <laughs> toys are strewn from one end of the house to the other, and and most men know better than to say, what have you been doing all day? (laughs) They know full well what she's been doing all day, and they would do no better if they were at home picking up after the little rascals, but uh, nevertheless, they're annoyed because the house is not picked up, so so what, what do they do? Well, they start picking up toys, and they're amazed that their wives do not appreciate that. They don't like that. That's not what they want done. I know. I've been there. <clears throat> See, it, it, it's not because uh, I'm trying to help my wife. I don't like a cluttered house. So much. All I'm trying to say is that so much of our love and the things we do for our, our wives is centered on, our, on ourselves. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we want for our wives? Proverbs says, uh, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's what we really want. We want to help our wives grow to maturity in Christ, to fear the Lord, to know him and love him and reproduce his character. And everything that we do ought to be, be focused on that particular goal, you see. That's the purpose of our love. Well, Paul tells us how to do that. Doesn't leave us in ignorance. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives. In what way? In the way in which Christ loves his bride. The way in which he helps her to grow into holiness, it's by gently washing her with the water of the word. It's by setting the pace, by by living the truth in front of her, and then by gently and and lovingly teaching her from, from the word. It's not by ordering her about. It's not by commanding her. It's not by shouting at her. It's not through angry and and harsh words. It's not through coldness or withdrawal are sulking, and certainly not by physical force, by shaking, pushing, shoving, grabbing, hitting, slapping, spanking. 
My, my father always taught me that you, you never strike a dog with your hands when you're training them. Because you want that dog to know when you stretch out your hand, that hand signifies love. And so the only time we ever ought to touch our wives is with love. Don't even hit them with a newspaper. <laughs> now, again, the big question is, what do I want for my wife and how do I get there? By loving her as Christ loved the church to make her holy without spot or wrinkle or blameless. And I do so by gently washing her with the word, by living it and by speaking the truth to her in love when it's, when it's appropriate. That's what it means to love your wife the way Christ loves his church. Now, I bet you women thought you were going to get off scot-free. You are not. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's, that's not a popular concept in our culture. It's not well received, but nevertheless, it's, it's found in, in all through Scripture. It's in the warp and woof of Scripture. It can't be extracted. You find it here. You find it in Peter's teaching in 1 Peter 3. You find it in the book of Titus. You find it in 1 Corinthians 11. You find it in the book of Proverbs and Genesis 2. All through Scripture, it's taught. That, that we men have the ultimate responsibility in our home, not because we're wiser or more moral or even better equipped to do it. It is just simply a fact that we have the ultimate responsibility. And there's simply no way to soften the force of, of that word submit. It, it basically means to stand under the authority of, of someone else. Now, it does not mean that women are to be subject to every other man in the world. That's not so. That's not a Christian concept. Women can be heads of state, heads of industry and education, and they can function in positions of leadership over men in almost every other sphere of responsibility. But in the home, for whatever reason God has, has, uh, has given, it's man's responsibility to, to take that leadership. Secondly, that submission does not mean submission Literally, in everything, though Paul says, submit in everything. Paul himself would balance this concept out with other teachings in that the husband does not have ultimate responsibility over your life. God does. He's the ultimate authority. And where your husband's commands contradict a command of God, then you would have to respectfully obey. The apostles had to do that on occasion when the state required them to do something that was contrary to God's will. They said respectfully, we have to obey God rather than men. And there may come a time in your life if your husband asks you to do something that is clearly morally, scripturally wrong, you'd have to say no. If he asks you to sign the bottom of an income tax report in which you know your husband has defrauded the government, you, you would have to say, honey, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's contrary to the will of God. So when Paul says submit in everything, he means submit in those things where you can even though you think your husband is unwise, even though you think he's going to bankrupt the family, that has nothing to do with it. If your husband says to, to go along with an action that might be unwise, you must, you must go along with him. It's only in those areas where that action would contravene a clear statement of Scripture are you at, at liberty to, to say no. 
It's a hard concept. But, but nevertheless, it's, it's here, it's in Scripture. Your argument is not with me. I'm, I'm simply telling you what an inspired apostle says. You'll have to take it up with him. <laughs> Women want to be loved. You know, they, they, they want to be loved, as Byron puts it. Love is to man a thing apart, his woman's whole existence. She wants to be loved like she's never been loved before. She wants to be loved like Christ loves his church. Men want to be respected. Men want to be followed more than anything else in the world. Nothing is, is more devastating to a man than to have a wife who drags her, her heels and who resists him and, and, uh, and fights every decision that he makes. He emasculates him. Makes him feel like a little boy. And that's why Paul says, submit. He may not always be right. He may make some real blunders. But don't be afraid. God's your ultimate protector, not your husband. He'll look after you as he did for Sarah. Follow his lead. You know, when, when we begin to act in, in absurd, ridiculous ways, God very often just takes his hands off of us and lets us go because it's more important that we learn the, the consequences of our follow than, folly than that we be kept from our folly. And so there may be times that you have to look at your relationship with your husband that way. You just have to take your hands off of him and let him go so he can learn the hard way how to walk with God. So don't, don't resist him unless he's asking you to do something that's contrary to the will of God. Now, this sort of submission does not mean silence. You, you can tell him what your needs are. You can give him counsel. And good men ought to listen to the counsel of, of their wives. There is a reservoir of wisdom there that we men are foolish to ignore. Last Monday night, about 11 o'clock, I was already in the sack, and Carolyn said, I hear water running. I said, nah. <laughs> I said, I just went outside and turned off all the sprinklers. No water running. I hear water running. Nah, no water running. So she went to bed. About 3 o'clock in the morning, she said, I hear water running. <clears throat> I was a little bit irritated. Got out of bed, went downstairs, and stepped into three inches of water in the basement. She heard water running. <laughs> that was about a $500 mistake on my part. Fortunately, that's minor. But uh, unfortunately, we sometimes don't listen when our wives give counsel on some of the more major issues in life about our children, about our financial affairs, we need to listen. So submission does not mean, mean silence, and neither should, should we men discourage any kind of communication along these lines. But, but the end of it all, as Paul says in verse 33, the well-known bottom line is that each one of you men must love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There are no guarantees in this, in this life, except that God will give us the grace to face whatever we have to face. There are no guarantees that our marriages will be healed if they're hurting or broken, mended if they're broken. Jesus talked about hardness of heart being one thing that keeps uh, couples apart. If one or the other is hard in heart, then there's nothing the other person can do. But uh, what Paul is saying is that each one of us needs to focus upon the thing which we're commanded to do. Nowhere in the Bible 
does it say to me to tell my wife to be submissive to me? Nor does it say anywhere in Scripture to my wife that uh, she is to tell me to love her. We need to focus on the thing that God has called us to do. I need to love her as Christ loves the church in that purposeful way to help her to grow up to maturity. And she needs to focus on submission to me. And that's the way to heal a hurting marriage. And that's the only way I know to heal one. Compatibility doesn't uh, have anything to do with anything as far as I'm concerned. Do you realize that when Paul wrote these words, most marriages were contracted anyway? They were either arranged by the parents or by matchmakers. And you often married someone you've never seen before. And so compatibility or or even uh, feelings of love don't have anything to do with making a marriage go. It's this kind of dogged obedience to the truth that makes things happen. And you say, well, the love is gone. The feeling's gone. I can't get it back. It will come back. God will restore your love for your mate if if you'll simply do what God has has called you to do and do it doggedly. See, the problem is, you know, I I talk to some men and they say, you know, you you need to love your wife and this is the way you need to do it. And he says, okay. And he goes back and he he tries it for 24 hours. And he comes back and he says, she didn't change. (laughs) And I say, well, now look, it costs, you know, you, you were 10 years. Getting the marriage into this state of disrepair. Do you think 24 hours is going to reverse the trend? You may have to spend 10 years loving your wife like Christ loved the church in order to undo all the damage you've done. That's why I say it has to be dogged persistence in doing what God has called you to do. You're not responsible for the other person. We're always great at at making decisions for matters on which we have no responsibility. I'm not responsible for my wife's actions. I'm responsible for mine. And that's what I need to focus on. I I had so much fun yesterday. I went over to Caldwell and spoke to a group of men that I've never spoken to before. They were mostly ranchers, farmers from that area, and a tougher bunch of guys I've never seen. And uh, I went through this passage about uh, loving your wife the way Christ loved his church. And I didn't know how they were responding. They sat there poker-faced. There's a man sitting right across from me, elderly gentleman, probably in his 80s, grizzled, tough-looking old guy, great big hands. That's what first attracted my attention. And then I noticed he had two fingers missing off of his right hand. And a little later, when he introduced himself, he said, uh, well, he said, I, I wanted to explain what happened. He said, when I was four, I tangled with a dog, and he, and he got my fingers but he said, uh, actually, it's worked out all right. The dog's dead and I ain't. <laughs> and I thought, oh, there is a very wise man. That's a <laughs> man with real perspective. He has his head on straight. Very philosophic turn of mind. And as we were leaving, he, he caught me by the arm and he... And he pulled me back. I was on my way out of the door. And he said, you know, I've been married for 61 years, he said. And I wish to God somebody had told me this 61 years ago. Well, here it is. You know, God has told it to us. And we don't need to be in the dark. And we don't need to look back on our lives and say, we didn't know. It's it's here. It's just a question of obeying what uh, the truth that God has given to us. And if, and if our marriages are to be healed at all, this is, this is the only way.
to heal them. Let's pray. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us for our hard hearts and our unwillingness to, uh, to bend our knees to what we know is your will. And grant to us the strength of your indwelling presence to, to obey what, what are for us very, very difficult commands. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and for your enablement that makes everything possible. And we pray as a result, as we work hard on the restoration of our marriages and as we do what you've called us to do, that, that you'll give us the strength to pursue obedience doggedly and persistently and to wait for you to produce results and not, uh, and not be unrealistic in our expectations. We thank you for all that you've given to us that, make, that makes possible obedience to what you've commanded. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.